welcome to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. We will explore God's Word to learn how we can live by God's grace and for His glory. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Here's your host, Noah Hooper. What is the chief end of man? Perhaps you have heard this question quoted by a preacher before or in a book before. It has been cited many places And the answer to that question has often been stated, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The glory of God is the purpose of the Christian life. It is not to magnify yourself, rather in who we are and in the way that we live, we are to bring glory to Him. With that said, I want to welcome you to season two of the Taught by Grace podcast. If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you've heard me mention the phrase, learning to live by the grace of God for the glory of God. That is my desire for this podcast. It is to just simply add in some teaching that will help you learn more how to live by the grace of God for the glory of God in addition to what you are receiving from your daily walk with God and from your church. God's Word as a whole enables us in this pursuit of learning how to live by the grace of God for the glory of God. However, there are some passages of Scripture that are particularly helpful as you seek to live for God's glory in light of what Jesus has done. I think about Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 as two great chapters on what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. Romans 12 is another great passage of Scripture on this subject. It reveals how we must relate to God, each other, and unbelievers. It describes how a Christian thinks and behaves. It it is overflowing in imperatives for the believer. However, before we examine those truths, we must recognize the first 11 chapters of Romans. Over the next several weeks, we're going to study Romans chapter 12 and see how we can live for the glory of God. But before we do that, we must look and examine the first 11 chapters because Romans 12, 1 begins by saying, I beseech you, therefore, in light of everything that was penned before, Paul calls the Roman believers to submit in obedience to what he would write after. This is immediately true of the first two verses in Romans 12 and also the rest of the book as a whole. The weight of true Christian living in Romans 12 hangs upon the word, therefore. Without it, every command given in the rest of the book is nothing more than a weightless plea for moral living. But with it, it is rooted and grounded in the finished work of Jesus Christ and is a powerful call to true Christianity. What then is the therefore connected to? Therefore, in Romans 12, 1 is the bridge between the doctrinal section of Romans 1 through 11 and the practical section of Romans 12 through 16. It lays hold of what Jesus has done for us and joins it to how we must now live for Him. The first 11 chapters declare the glorious implications of the gospel. It reveals who we were without Christ, who we are now in Christ as well. It is really an exposition of the good news of the gospel. However, Before we examine the good news, we must see really 
the bad news. Because in the first three chapters, Paul declares the depraved condition of unbelieving men and women. It is a revelation of God's wrath against sinners. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul describes the condition of both Jew and Gentile. Both are guilty before God because of their sin. God may not have given his written word to the Gentiles through the law as he did to the Jews, but he revealed himself through creation and in their own consciences. Thus, they are guilty before God because they have rejected what he revealed to them. Neither are the Jews without excuse. They may rest in their religion, but this will not transform their heart. The standard is the law of God, and it demands perfection. Those who have a clear revelation of God as the Jews did and choose to refuse Him are as guilty as those who do not have as much revelation. Paul comes to this conclusion in chapter 3 about the condition of both Jew and Gentile. He acknowledges that sure, the Jews were blessed because of God's revelation to them, but they were no better than the Gentiles. The conclusion of the state of both pagan and the religious is this in Romans 3 verses 9 through 18. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jew and Gentile that they are all under sin as it is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Whether Jew or Gentile, all are condemned before God because of their sin. What then makes the difference between those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous? It is faith in Jesus Christ. The first few chapters declare that righteousness is not found in anything that a man can do because we are condemned before God because of our sin. But now Paul launches into the truth of where true righteousness is found. In the same way that both Jew and Gentile are guilty before God because of sin, they are both justified in the same manner, and that is through faith. Romans 3 verses 23 through 31 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yea, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify 
the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. It doesn't matter whether you are religious or pagan, Jew or Gentile, man or woman. You are guilty before God because of your sin. You cannot attain righteousness, but you must be declared righteous. And we are declared righteous through faith in Jesus alone. That is one of the central truths of the first five chapters in the book of Romans. Paul begins with the condition of every man apart from God and then declares how that condition changes. And it is by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus alone. This is the transformation that occurs through the gospel. We pass from death to life, from lost to found, from guilty to justified. Now we have peace with God, as Romans 5 verse 1 declares, rather than being at enmity with God. We've been declared righteous to serve in righteousness. This is our new condition in Jesus Christ. Then, chapter 6 and 7 detail the struggle of the believer with sin. We are dead to sin, therefore we are no longer the servants of sin. However, there is still a war that rages within every believer between sin and righteousness. However, this struggle doesn't negate the fact that there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Paul continues ascending the mountain of gospel truth and journeys through one of the greatest chapters in God's Word in Romans 8, describing the Christian's position in Jesus Christ. He begins by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Jesus Christ. Those who are in Christ are no longer condemned as the first three chapters describe us. Because of this, he ends by saying there will be no separation, neither death nor life, not angels, not principalities, not any creature. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because we are now in Christ. He is for us because of what he has done for us in Jesus. Therefore, there is no condemnation and there can be no separation. Then chapters 9 through 11 detail difficult truths that have been debated through the centuries, but it ends with an explosion of praise in Romans 11 verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his way past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul's heart erupts into praise to God. After considering who God is and what he has done for us. Verse 36 is key to what we are going to be exploring over the next few weeks in our study through Romans 12. Everything is of God, through God, and to God for the sake of His glory. Simply, all that God has done is to the end of Him receiving glory. Now we can study Romans 12. For in Romans 12, Paul details what a life that glorifies God looks like. It is a life 
that is all in. It is a life that is rightly related to both believers and unbelievers. The life that glorifies God knows the supremacy of God's glory in all things and lives in light of that glory by magnifying Him. Everything that God does is to bring Him glory. Everything that He did for us in Christ is to bring Him glory. Your justification, sanctification, and glorification are to bring Him glory. His work in us glorifies Him. Therefore, our way of living must glorify Him. God's glory is the goal. It is the chief end of man as we began the episode. We must forsake man-centered Christianity wherein we are the ones who receive the glory, wherein we perform so that we would please those around us and that they would say, oh, what a great Christian they are. Rather, we must return to a God-centered Christianity, a Christ-centered Christianity, wherein He alone receives the glory. We must return to Christ-centeredness in the way that we live wherein we live not that men might see and that they might glorify us as the Pharisees desired, but where we have a true heartfelt desire to live in a manner so that God alone receives the glory. Our lives are to be a display of the glory of God. As Ephesians 2 declares that we are His workmanship. We are the vessels through which God is glorified because of what He has done in us, as Romans 1-11 through declares. That we were sinners. We were guilty before Him, but now through Christ we are righteous. We are no longer the servants to sin, but we can now put sin to death and live unto the glory of God. And He is glorified now in the way that we live. So now then... We must seek to live in a manner that glorifies Him. We must seek to live in a manner that makes Him supreme in all things. And this is what Romans 12 describes. So I hope you will join me over the next few weeks as we study this chapter that describes the glory of God in the Christian's life. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you will consider subscribing and leaving a review. And I hope that you will join me next week as we continue studying God's Word to learn how to live by His grace and for His glory.